Revelation chapter 17, please, this morning. Revelation chapter 17. And we're drawing closer to the end of a Revelation study. And um, I hope you realize we're drawing closer and closer to the end of time uh, as we know it. Every day we're getting closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're seeking uh, in this study to prepare ourselves with that knowledge that God has given us in his word so that we are ready, so that we're ready. Um, one of my preaching heroes is a man by the name of Adrian Rogers. He's in heaven now, uh, but he pastored for many, many years Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And as I was studying this past week, I ran across some words that um, he shared that I thought were worth sharing with you. He said, every child of God needs to know that there is a beast called the Antichrist who is lurking in the shadows, getting ready to take over. And he asked the question, why? Why does every child of God need to know that? We said, first of all, because of the intercession factor. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. He said, secondly, because of the soul winning factor. We need to get our loved ones into the ark of safety. We need to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. He said we need to know this because, thirdly, of the family instruction factor. That is, we need to prepare our loved ones for the things that are coming. We cannot afford to be ignorant concerning these things. And sad to say, so many believers are. And then fourthly and finally, because of, and you'll like this one, I think, the comfort factor. He says you may think that things are coming apart, but everything is fitting into the sockets of prophecy. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then what we're studying, we've been studying it for many uh, weeks now. Uh, This should encourage you. Uh, It should comfort you. And yes, it should challenge you and maybe even convict you at times. But it should be an encouraging thing as a child of God to see the end being laid out for us. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, then what we're studying together, it should frighten you. I mean, it should scare you. It should wake you and hopefully convert you to realize what is coming, to realize that Jesus is coming again. I don't believe we can honestly and accurately study the book of Revelation and not be moved in some way by it. I mean, the alarm that judgment is coming uh, should impact us in some way. But sad to say, many snooze away, though the, the judgment alarm is sounding, people snooze away. I hope that's not you today. Well, we come to chapter 17 and 18 in our study, and today our plan is to tackle chapter 17, and then God willing, next week we plan on tackling chapter 18. But I mention them together because they have the same theme, the same topic, and the same outcome. They both deal with the judgment of Babylon. Today in chapter 17, we'll see judgment on the religious part of Babylon, And then next week, God willing, we'll see judgment poured out upon the commercial and political part of Babylon. Now, I need to lay some groundwork and some framework upon which to study these uh, two chapters with you. We need to understand something very important right up front as we tackle Revelation 17 and 18. And that is when it comes to Babylon, you need to remember something. And it's this. Babylon is both a city and a system. Babylon is both a city and a system. 
Uh, said another way, it's literal and symbolic. It's kind of like the way that we talk about uh, Wall Street and Madison Avenue. You know, Wall Street and Madison Avenue are both real roadways that if you are brave enough, you can go drive, right? Wall Street and Madison Avenue. But they also become symbolic. Wall Street representing finance and Madison Avenue representing advertisements. We talk about Wall Street and Madison Avenue. We could be talking about the actual roadways themselves, or we could be talking about the symbolism of what they represent. And so Babylon is both a city, an actual place that is coming, but it's also symbolic, and we'll see that as we study. Now, in chapter 17, we see the false religious system of Babylon is going to fall. And in chapter 18, we see that the commercial and political system of Babylon is going to fall as well as the literal city itself. It's a city and a system. Now, I'll be honest with you, Bible scholars are divided as to exactly where Babylon is going to be. Whether the literal ancient city of Babylon is going to be rebuilt or not, some believe it will be, uh, some believe it won't. In fact, I think Saddam Hussein tried to start building it years ago. But many believe, no, that Babylon here mentioned refers to Rome. But in all honesty, we're not sure exactly where Babylon's going to be. But we do know that we're looking at the kingdom of the Antichrist and Babylon, wherever it's going to be in the future, is going to be its capital city, if you will. Let me remind you where we are in Revelation. You know you're at chapter 17, but I gave you that timeline at the very beginning, way back when we started studying the prophetic portions. And we're looking here... Uh, Near the end, during the tribulation period, right before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, seven bold judgments uh, were unleashed in chapter 16. And this puts us at the point right before the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're not really progressing in the timeline at all. The seventh bowl is mentioned. And now we're given a clearer picture of what will happen to Babylon itself. In fact, Babylon's destruction has been mentioned back in chapter 14 and also mentioned in chapter uh, uh, 16, Revelation 14, 8. And another angel followed saying Babylon is fallen, has fallen that great city because she's made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's mentioned back in chapter 14. And then you come to chapter uh, 16 and that seventh bowl judgment is mentioned. You know that the great earthquake and the gigantic hailstones. What we're reading here, especially chapter 18, is part of that seventh bowl. And so the fall of Babylon's part of that seventh bowl judgment. In fact, look at Revelation 16, 19. Now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities and the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And so what's happening here in chapter 17 and 18 is, as one author says, the judgment's now kind of be coming to us in slow motion. You know, we, we, we're told about this bold judgment, the seventh bold judgment, and now we're kind of looking at it in detail concerning Babylon. I look at it this way. It's kind of like going from a wide-angle shot to a close-up. So the seventh bowl is announced, and we see the judgment's coming, and now we zoom in on Babylon. Oh, wait, one more thing. You know, we're just laying the groundwork. The judgments you're going to read about in these two chapters do not seem to happen at the same time. In fact, chapter 17, which we're studying today, seems to happen halfway through the tribulation time. And I'll talk to you more about that. 
Whereas the judgment in chapter 18 will happen near the end of the tribulation period. Well, that's enough foundation for right now. Okay, we'll, we'll get some more of that as we go. But I can see you're fired up and excited to begin studying uh, chapter 17 now that we've laid the groundwork. And so let us go there and uh, look at Revelation 17. I want you to follow along in your Bible as I read the entire chapter. Then we'll come back and uh, we'll unpack it together. All right. Revelation chapter 17. I'll begin reading there at verse number one. Uh, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. This is John writing, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which is full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written mystery. Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Do you see how just in awe John is here? He says, I marveled with great amazement. He was having trouble. But don't worry, look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are written not or not written in the book of life and the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other is yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdoms as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are the one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, I understand a lot of preachers when they preach on Revelation 17, they like to call their message beauty and the beast, beauty and the beast. But the woman mentioned, I didn't call it there, uh, that today, because the woman mentioned here is anything but beautiful to behold, at least when it comes to true beauty. In fact, she is called a harlot. 
And not just any harlot, she's called the mother of harlots. Now, I had mixed emotions today because I, I decided we were going to continue preaching through Revelation because we're getting a big picture. and We've got continuity uh, from chapter to chapter and we're looking at this thing. And I know today's Mother's Day and I bet you've never heard a Mother's Day message on the mother of harlots, have you? So happy Mother's Day. We love you. <laughs> As we study the mother of harlots today. Now, this seems so strange, doesn't it? You have a woman sitting on the back of a scarlet beast, and the beast has seven heads and ten horns. And I wrestled, how do I best present this chapter? Because there's a lot in there. The beast which was and is and is the seventh and the eighth. And how do I best go about this? And I, the best way I know how today is simply to walk through the verses with you. And look at them and unpack them together. That, that actually breaks one of the preaching rules. One of the preaching rules, if you will, is not to be a running commentary. A running commentary is where you say, this verse means this and, and this verse means that. But I think the best thing we can do today, because there's so much here, is just to have a running commentary a little bit. And so what I want to do with you all today is walk through the verses. And as we're talking about what they mean, also apply them. Uh, as we, Is that okay for everybody? I hope because I didn't prepare anything else. So if you said no, you might as well leave now. So let's go back and let's begin unpacking this together. Now, John is writing uh, here in verse one. He tells us that one of these seven angels, you know, there were seven angels of the seven bowl judgments. One of those angels, probably the one with the seventh bowl, comes up, says, listen, uh, look at verse one. Um, He says that come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And so the question we've got to address, first of all, is who is this harlot? Well, drop down to verse 5. It says, on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, comma, Babylon the Great, comma, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And then if you drop down to verse 18, it tells us who the woman is. It says, and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so Babylon here is the city... But it's, this harlot also pictures uh, the false religious system, this one world religious system. Remember, Babylon is a city and a, si- a, a system. And this, chapter 17, is the religious part of Babylon. And when it mentions this harlot here, don't think about just in physical and sexual realms, though there may have been some of that. This woman being pictured here is guilty of spiritual adultery and spiritual harlotry. That is, this is this religion that is unfaithful to the true God, the one true God. Now, God spoke about his people in these terms, did he not? When they were unfaithful to him. In fact, you go back, just, I'll just give you one book example. In the book of Hosea, look at some verses with me on the screen. Hosea 4.15, though you Israel play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Uh, look at Hosea 5.3, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. Hosea 6.10. I've seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. And then Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 1. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples. For you have played the harlot against your God. You've made love for hire on every threshing floor. And so God talked about his own people in those terms. They committed spiritual adultery and spiritual harlotry. Now, think about it. At the rapture, 
All true believers that are living at that moment are going to be taken from this earth. They're going to go to meet the Lord in the air. Now, we know that other people are going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. In fact, many will. We've talked about that in lengths. But think about this. The rapture happens. Let's just say we don't know when it's going to happen. Let's say the rapture happens on a Wednesday. Did you ever think about that the following Sunday, the following Sunday, maybe Saturday, many churches and religious places are going to be filled, I believe. I think it'll make 9-11. Remember what happened after 9-11 that following Sunday? I think it'll make it pale in comparison. And they'll fill up these religious places and these quote-unquote churches, but realize that all this worship that will take place is not God-focused and it's not God-ordained. It's false religion. Why? Because all true believers, they left on Wednesday. And yet the system continues on. And there's going to be a great appeal to this Babylonian religion. Verse one says the harlot sits on many waters. Now, the scriptures is best commentary. If you drop down to verse 15, look at what it says. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. In fact, you know, we declare separation of church and state. Now, there won't be separation of church and state then. There's coming this one world um, gathering. Look at verse two, talking about the harlot representing false religion. Look at verse two. It says the harlot with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The rulers of this world are going to join in on this false religion, this one world religion. Now, let's keep reading verse three. John says in verse three, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So the woman mentioned there is the same woman. It's the harlot. And here she's sitting on the scarlet beast, which has all these blasphemous names, seven heads and ten horns. Now, who is this scarlet beast? Well, if you've been with us, this sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit familiar about this beast. In fact, if you were here, you saw it in chapter 13 and verse 1. In 13, 1, look at what it says. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Beloved, this is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. And at this point in the tribulation time, he is supporting and using this one world false religion for his purposes. Probably many different religions, all kind of unified under one central place. And the Antichrist is supporting it and he's using it. How do we know he's supporting it? How do we know he's using it? Well, he supports it. Why? Because it says the harlot is sitting on the scarlet beast. He's supporting it. And he's somewhat submitting himself to it because the beast is under the harlot. With all this support from the Antichrist and the kings and the rulers of this world, the harlot grows wealthy. Look at verse four. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now, I understand it was the practice of harlots back in the Roman time to literally wear a headband with their name on it. And they, of course, announced who they were, announced their name. Uh, And I guess you could ask for that harlot again by name if you so chose to. 
But notice the names that are given to the harlot here. Mystery, and then Babylon the Great, and then the mother of harlots and abominations. Now, mystery, according to MacArthur in the New Testament, uh, is, is something that was once hidden, but in the New Testament's revealed. And so something we weren't sure about, but later on we found out about. And he said spiritual Babylon's true identity is yet to be revealed. Uh, we don't know all the precise details, so it's somewhat of a mystery. And then Babylon the Great, of course, that is the coming future city of the Antichrist, wherever it is, whether they rebuild ancient Babylon or it's Rome or wherever it is. And then it says she's called the mother of harlots and abominations. Now, believe it or not, this takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, think of it for a little bit on the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, you have that people grew worse and worse, and God decided he was going to send a worldwide universal flood. And destroy them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah built an ark. And Noah and his family were preserved in the ark. Of course, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Safety in the midst of judgment. And after the ark landed and after it was time for them to come out, God spoke to Noah and he said this to him in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, what? Read it with me. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, that was just common sense, wasn't it? Only people there were them. Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. That's the command that God gives them. It's a blessing and a command. But we find we don't get very far over in Genesis chapter 11. We find disobedience, rebellion. Look at Genesis 11. Now, the whole earth had come at one language and one speech. Wouldn't that be interesting? No interpreters needed. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar. So let's do some building. Verse 4. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now watch the next part. Let us make a name for, what's it say? Ourselves. Not God. Ourselves. Lest we be what? Scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now what did God tell them back in chapter 9? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Scatter. What do they say in chapter 11? We're not going. At least this group wasn't. Let's build a name for ourselves. Let's build a city for ourselves. And of course, if you know the history, if you've read Genesis, if you remember the story, God is not going to let them get away with it. In fact, in the same chapter, chapter 11, verse 9, therefore, its name is called Babel. And we're talking about what? Babylon the Great. It's called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so God confused. So one day they were working along and all of a sudden this fellow started talking Chinese and this one started talking Portuguese and he was speaking English. I don't know if they had southern dialect or not, but but anyway, uh, they, they could and they began to go out and they went with those they understood. And what's interesting is, as, as Wearsby said, later in history, Babylon became a great empire before finally falling to the Medes and Persians. You remember a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. But from the beginning of Nimrod's city in Genesis chapter 10, 
There was an insidious, uh, insidious anti-God Babylonian influence felt throughout history. And the woman is the great harlot, but she's also the mother of harlots. Why? Notice what he says. The woman is the great harlot, but she's also the mother of harlots. Why? The Babylonian system has in one way or another given birth to all false religions. It spread from there, from Babel onward. And now we have it culminating here. And we see it in our world today, don't we? False religion is abounding. It's kind of like the rage that's going on right now with dump cakes. Do you all know what a dump cake is? I keep hearing about dump cakes and recipes about dump cakes. I thought, what in the world is a dump cake? So I checked it out. I Googled it. Do you all do that? I Googled it. Here's what it said. A dump cake is usually a combination of canned fruit, usually drained and combined in the bottom of a baking dish. Next, people add yellow or white cake mix, simply pouring the mix right over the fruit. Now, some of y'all say, it's got to give it a recipe. Hurt, slow down. <laughs> Recipes vary, but most often they direct people to add slices of butter on top of the cake mix. So you put the fruit drained on the bottom. You put white or yellow cake mix. Then you put all kinds of batter on there. And it says when the cake is baked, it has a lovely top crust that is buttery over a layer of sweet fruit. It says it's difficult to find dessert recipes that are easier to make than a dump cake. And then I only have dump cakes. They have dump dinners now, too. But it's so easy. I found this picture of a little girl. She's making a dump cake. There she is. And she can do it. I can do it. But I thought, you know what, if that doesn't picture today the world and people's quote unquote faith, that is find what you like, dump it in, mix it up, put some butter on it so it tastes easy and be sure to make it easy. And so we have this dump faith today. People pull a little bit of new age and and the worship of the universe and 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 all these things, little uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism or whatever it is. And just whatever appeals to you, and makes you feel good. And you make up your own religion and your own faith. We have it all coming to fruition here in Babylon, the great. And by the way, when it comes to this religion here. In Revelation chapter 17, there's room for everyone except for those who worship the one true God. Did you see what this harlot does to them? Look at verse number six. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And so in that day, you cannot worship the Lord. They'll put you to death. Now, in our day of the dump faith religion, it seems it's okay if you add a little bit of Jesus, just a touch. But don't make it too much and don't make it exclusive. But what did Jesus say? He didn't say that's all right. He didn't say make your own dump faith. Don't, don't just choose what you want. Jesus said very clearly in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the father except through He is the only way, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John sees this harlot and he sees her drunk with the blood of the martyrs and he's amazed. He's nonplussed. And the angel comes to his aid. I'm thankful. Verse seven. The angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And he begins to explain. Verse eight. The beast that you saw was and is not. It will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. 
And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. His names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Those who are not truly born again. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now the question is, I know you're thinking, what does it mean when it says the beast was, is not, and yet is? What, I mean, the beast is the Antichrist. So what does it mean when it says that he was, is not, and yet is? <clears throat> well, remember back in chapter 13, we're told the Antichrist is going to stage some sort of resurrection. He's going to recover from a mortal wound. In fact, look at it with me there on the screen. Revelation 13, 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded. So there's a deathly blow comes and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? Who is he? Satan. Yeah, Lucifer. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. When you worship the beast, you're worshiping Satan. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? And so when you have that idea there about the beast was, is not, and yet is, it's a reminder that he's going to stage this pseudo resurrection, if you will. He was, he's living, he is not, that is, he supposedly dies, yet he is, that is, he comes back to life. If you remember, Satan is the great counterfeiter. And this angel goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, here is the mind which he has wisdom. The seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So we have seven heads that are seven mountains. And then we have seven kings. And it says that five of the kings has fallen, one is, and the another is yet to come. Now, you go back and study, you come up with all sorts of ideas here. But I think the most simple way to understand this is to take it as it says here. And understand this as the seven world kingdoms that have existed. The seven world kingdoms that have existed. Now, notice what it says in that verse 19. Five have fallen. At the time that John wrote this, five world kingdoms had come and gone. You had Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. And then it says in verse, nine, uh, verse 10, what? One is. Well, when John was writing, what kingdom we're talking about? Well, the kingdom of Rome. One is. And then what does it say? And the other has not yet come. That is, there's another kingdom coming. And that would be the Antichrist kingdom or the revived Roman Empire. We also read about that back in the book of Daniel. And so you have these seven world kingdoms, five have fallen, they're already done. One is, during John's day, the kingdom of Rome, and then one which is yet to come, which is the Antichrist kingdom. But then what in the world does the next verse mean? Verse 11. The beast that was and is not, is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. Man, I'm glad I'm not back in English class and I have to diagram that sentence, aren't you? Understand what in the world does that mean? The beast that was and is not himself also the eighth is of the seventh is going to perdition. How can the Antichrist be the seventh and the eighth? How is that possible? We know how he's the seventh. That mean, that makes sense. Seventh kingdom's coming, the Antichrist kingdom. He's the king, but how in the world can he be the eighth? Well, notice the first part of the verse again. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. What's it talking about? Remember? He's going to stage this pseudo resurrection as the seventh king. He's going to die somehow, supposedly a mortal blow, a mortal wound. And so he dies 
And then he resurrects. So he's now the eighth kingdom. You understand? And so he's likely going to be the seventh and the eighth king, according to Scripture. That's the best way I know how to explain that one. Now, let's go back and see what else. Notice that he doesn't work alone. Verses 12 through 14. The ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet. So there'll be others who will go with him and rule with him. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with them are called chosen and faithful. These uh, this united kingdom of the Antichrist and these other kings, they're going to meet their demise at the Battle of Armageddon, which we'll study in chapter 19. Well, we've already studied everything, including verses 15 and 18. So there's just two verses left. Let's look at verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, wait a minute. We have here that the beast is supporting and submitting to and upholding this one world religion because the harlot's false religion. We believe it's made up of all sorts of beliefs, but they're all uh, she's the mother of all harlots. But here it says she's going to be destroyed by the Antichrist. And those kings ruling with him. Why? Well, beloved, understand when the Antichrist has used this one world false religion to fulfill his purposes. He'll do away with it. In other words, she's sitting on the beast for now. But not forever. Kind of reminds you of the old song. Do you remember the old song about the crocodile? You remember that one? She sailed away on a lovely summer's day on the back of a crocodile. You see, said she, he's as tame as tame can be. I'll ride him down the Nile. The croc winked his eye and a lady waved goodbye, wearing a happy smile. At the end of the ride, the lady was inside and the smile was on the crocodile. (laughs) See the destruction coming. She's on that beast. But only for a time. Then the beast turns and destroys her. This destruction of this one world religion will most likely take place at the midway point through the seven year tribulation. The midway point where you see the star there. The Antichrist will make a peace treaty for the seven years, but then he'll break it halfway through and set himself up as the centerpiece of worship. Why does he destroy the harlot? Because he wants worship alone. He wants worship. Daniel tells us about it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Then he, that is the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That is a week of years, seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about this in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, we just read standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You see, the Antichrist desires all worship because he has authority from the dragon. And when you worship the Antichrist, you're actually worshiping that old dragon, that old serpent, Satan himself. And they desire worship. Revelation 13, 8, all who join the earth will worship him. That is the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life and of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 15, he was granted power. That's about the false prophets granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Remember, they're going to set up this image. 
that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to do what? To be killed. And so we have this religious Babylon is going to be destroyed and it will be destroyed by the Antichrist and his cohorts. Think about that for a moment. Or so it seems. Now, literally, there will be the tools. Look at verse 17. For God has put into their hearts to fulfill what? His purpose. To be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. You see, God is still in charge. And God can and God will use even the evil choices of the Antichrist and of Satan and of the false prophet to carry out his sovereign will. That's why the old uh, reformer Martin Luther many, many years ago said the devil is God's devil. The devil is God's devil. And he's going to put it in their minds to destroy this harlot. He'll set himself up as sole object of worship and centerpiece of worship. He and his his, uh, image. But actually, they're just carrying out God's will. God is overruling what they're doing. You see, there's coming a day when all false religion will be done away with. And there's coming a day when all false worship will cease. The harlot will be destroyed in this one world religion. But then it'll become all about the Antichrist. But then his defeat is coming as well. Because it says he was and is not and yet is. But is going where? To perdition. The lake of fire. Religious Babylon will fall. False worship will fall. It will fail. But I got to ask you a question today. What about your worship? This is all about worship. What about your worship? Is your worship pure? Is your worship true? Is your worship centered on the one true God? Do you realize that everybody, everybody worships something or someone? God wired us for worship. That's why we could go today to the deepest, darkest jungle somewhere where they've never even seen a white man and go visit a tribe or a hut and they'll be worshiping someone or something or maybe many things because God has wired us for worship and everybody worships something or someone. And so the question is, is your worship today pure and true? Is it centered upon the one true God? First of all, you have to know him in order to truly worship him. And you must know him as uh, through his son. I'm the way, the truth and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the father except through me. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you worship him because you know him? And if you say, yes, preacher, I do worship. Let me ask you, do you worship him according to the truth revealed in the scripture? You know, the harlot of false religion is very appealing And maybe you've been tempted, maybe even in the last several days or weeks or months and the last little bit in your life to mix a little something else in with Jesus. And you hear about something on TV or you talk to a coworker or somebody or you read something in a magazine. You say, well, that sounds interesting. Maybe I should try that. And yet it goes against God's word. And you say, I want to mix a little something with Jesus. Can I say to you, please don't do that. Don't do it. We want to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I open with a word from Adrian Rogers. I want to close with one from from him as well. He says, I know that some of you will rationalize and say you need to know more about the other religions. And perhaps you've even started studying the other religions of the world. He says, do you know what I think when I hear people wanting to study other religions and explore other religions and check out other faiths? 
Adrian Rogers says, I think of a married man who says, I want to see what all the other women in the world are like. Ladies, how would you like your husband to come tell you that? Listen, honey, I love you. I just want to check out all the other women in the world. He'd soon be in heaven, wouldn't he? You'd kill him on the spot. He says, you be true. Listen, listen, you be true to Jesus Christ and get a bulldog grip on the truth. He says, you don't have to flirt with all these other religions. Make it your life ambition to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of better counsel than that. Make it your life ambition to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, preacher, how much time do you spend studying other religions? Hardly any. Listen, you study the real thing and you can spot a counterfeit. You fall in love with Jesus Christ. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness, Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Who holds the keys that set us free? He paid it all to bring us peace, Jesus, only Jesus. Holy King, Almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore. We join with them and bow before Jesus, only Jesus. Who can command the highest praise? Who has the name above all names? You stand alone. I stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus, only Jesus. Make sure your worship is focused on the one true God, Jesus. Only Jesus. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for what you revealed to us here in your word today. We know that false religion will fail. Lord, I pray if anyone here today is trapped in religion and working and efforts and laboring, trying to get approval. Would you open their blinded eyes and hearts today and shine the glorious light of the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May they hear the words, it is finished, and realize that Christ accomplished on the cross what they could never accomplish on their own. If they'll simply turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus, they will be saved. Would you bring to their mind the truth? That it's not religion, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, Father, I pray for those of us who know him, who love him, who adore him. Father, would you search our hearts and help us to see if we truly are focusing and our worship is true and pure. Remove anything else that we would seek to mix in with Jesus. May it be all about him. So, Father, I pray that you'll do a work in our lives, do a work in our church, do a work in our hearts, and help us to consider our worship today. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. I want to thank you for listening so intently. I know it was a lot, wasn't it? It's a lot. But I hope you understand now in chapter 17. I thought we close with the most appropriate hymn as we talk about Jesus and the faith and the truth. 338, how firm a foundation. How firm a foundation. 338. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, come and let us help you with that. Take you by the hand, lead you to the cross.
We'd love to do that. Maybe you're a child of God here today and God's spoken to your heart about something. The altar is open. We invite you to come. Let's turn 338 and stand how, sing How Firm a Foundation 338.